Ahaz became king when he was only 20, ruling over Judah for 16 years. He was regarded as the worst, the very worst, of all the Jewish kings and rotten to the core. Which seems rather strange when you think of his father, Jotham, who was a good man, and Hezekiah, who followed him. Not only did he recklessly ignore the advice of Isaiah to take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, nor put his faith in God. Instead, he tried to appease the Assyrians by setting up idols and images of foreign gods in the temple, even worshipping them himself and sacrificing his own children. Micah, like so many of the other prophets living before and after the destruction of Jerusalem, lived at a very, very dark time, the darkest in Israel's history. Israel had split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was defeated by the Assyrians, and now the southern kingdom of Judah is hanging on by a thread, in dire danger due to its sins against God under King Ahaz. The book of Micah is also key because Micah, later in chapter 5, provides the most significant prophecies of Jesus Christ's birth in all the Old Testament, pointing some 700 years later to Christ's birth and his birthplace of Bethlehem and to his eternal nature. But the book can be confusing, which I was reminded of again this week. As one moment Micah is dealing with the Messiah, and the next he's writing about Assyria. To get a grasp of Micah, it is helpful to think of his book as a collection of short speeches. But we have to realize that one speech doesn't necessarily lead into the next. For sometimes God is speaking, sometimes Micah, and sometimes those rebelling against God. Here in chapter 3, Micah is condemning the sins of those in authority, those who flourished under King Ahaz. The ways of God are not being lived. Ahaz and the leaders are leading them into sin. Leaders have enjoyed their power and prestige but they have abdicated their responsibilities. They, above everyone, Micah is implying, should have known better. So Micah both reproves and threatens those princes and prophets misusing their authority, and particularly the civil magistrates, for their ignorance of justice, their hatred of good and love of evil, and especially for their oppression and cruelty. As with Isaiah and Jeremiah, Micah is warning the Jewish people that they needed to return to the ways of God. He is mainly addressing the poor and the oppressed because he was their advocate at this time. They lived in a cruel age and no one thought of their plight. Yet Micah saw beyond this darkness. He saw to the light ahead. He perceived a majestic Yahweh ruling over all the events. 
He looked to a God who would only punish his people to purify and restore them. Jehovah is compassionate and forgives those who repent of their sins. For Micah's perspective encompassed not only what was happening then, but looked to events far in the future, when the Messiah would come, a leader who would save Israel. He looked to a time when the nations will beat their swords into plowshares. The prophet looked straight at the darkness of his time and at the darkness yet to come. But his perspective was God's perspective and it enabled him to see beyond darkness. Verse 8 in chapter 7 says, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. This has to be the definition of hope, doesn't it? Being in the darkness and looking out to the light. We could say, listening to the passage from Micah this morning, that the people of God must have been shocked when he turns their world upside down, scathingly denouncing the way they are living, the way that they are guiding God's people. Everything they had thought important, the life they had come to love and cherish, is turned around. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the Temple Hill Mound overgrown with thickets. Jerusalem would be punished because her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. When God upends lives, it may be hard at the moment, but only the truth can free us and lead us to fullness of life. Jesus warns us to watch out for false prophets. They come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. These are the leaders or those in authority around us who only say what we want to hear not what we need to hear. Then the only way forward is for everything to be turned on its head, as here in Micah we learn this morning. With great insight, Billy Graham once commented, the disciples who followed Jesus were unique in their generation. They turned the world upside down because their hearts had been turned the right side up. Ultimately, God does not care about the temple, Jerusalem, our buildings, our comfortable life patterns. He cares about our devotion to him, our hearts. When God talks about turning everything upside down, it is about our hearts being turned right side up, focusing instead on what is honouring God. The people of God are shocked by what Micah is saying to them. For those who listen to him, Micah 3 is not words of judgment, but a warning so people's lives would turn around. We think of the one, two, three parents give to misbehaving children. For those who don't listen, 
Micah 3 is judgment, leading to destruction. If God thought that people had gone so far away from him and were doomed for damnation, there would have been no need for him to send prophets. But God does not condemn us eternally as soon as he grows weary of our behaviour. Instead, he warns, he teaches, he gives the opportunity to respond to his truth. He expresses his love, he forgives. God sent Micah to give people the opportunity to repent and the opportunity to allow God to change them, to turn them around, right side up. Micah is calling out the people who are being motivated by self-gain, popularity and wealth being strong pulls to tell people what they wanted to hear and not what God wanted them to hear. The message in Matthew, chapter 24 this morning, is a discernment delivered by Jesus himself as he sits on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And it was during the turbulent events of his last week on earth before his crucifixion. His words surely have immense significance for us today and into the future, for they are a revelation of the ultimate fate of earth. From his point in time, about AD 32, he looks ahead to foretell the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the disturbances connected to this singular event. He is looking across the centuries, outlining the perils that lie between his first and second coming, thus describing the very age in which we live. Jesus looks past the present day to that time he calls the end of the age, setting out what will happen in searing detail when nation turns against nation and kings fight kings. Earthquakes, floods, when people are living in chaos. His own return to earth will, of course, usher in a new day. Two things are very clearly stated in this passage. The first is in verses 4 and 5 when Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. He is, of course, talking about after his death. Second is verse 14, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's no date, there's no set time. It is only when the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. From the passage from Micah this morning, it is also clear that he is very concerned with false prophets leading people astray. Their words only lead to a dead end. And Micah firmly states that false teaching is not what God wants for his people. He needs leaders of integrity who refuse to only tell people what they want to hear, instead to tell them what they need to hear. 
And if the end of the age we are in will only be when the gospel of the kingdom will have been preached to all the nations, there has never been a greater urgency for people to be told what they need to hear. The gospel of Jesus Christ. All Christians today have been given a tremendous privilege in being able to share the good news. The term the New Testament authors use to mean the news of salvation or liberation from the sin and brokenness which separates us from God. Micah tells us that God does not want his people led astray. When God calls us my people, it is not the term of an oppressive king. It is God's affectionate description, a term of endearment for all of us, here and in every nation. Those who have heard the good news, those waiting to hear it, and those called to spread that good news. Amen. I might suggest that um, in Advent, maybe Micah, bearing in mind it's a very short book, is a book to read as we go through Advent, because it does set things out very clearly and maybe in a way reassures us when we look out at what is happening in the world today, which is not at all reassuring. <laughs>